Thank you. I'll talk to the Longhorn fans uh, after this is over. It is a real privilege for me to get to be here with each of you this morning. Uh, like Grant said, I work with women's ministry at Lookout Mountain Prez. I have been there for a little over a year, the weirdest year ever to start a new job. And my husband works for RUF at UTC. We've been there for seven years, and so we have a real heart for men and women in your age and stage of life, and a real burden for what even this last year has been like for all of you. Uh, as Grant also said, we have three children. Mary Margaret is our daughter. She will be eight next week. And our two boys, Jack and Sam, are six and four. There was a season in our home in which we were constantly living inside of a story. Everyone consistently had to be in some sort of character for about two or three years at a time. Mary Margaret was definitely always the princess. Cinderella, Rapunzel, whoever it may be. Every boy in my home was some kind of supporting character in some role. And um, I'm not sure what this said about me, but for some reason I was always cast as the villain. I had been uh, Maleficent and the evil queen. Queen Jezebel, I think, was the worst. I'm not even sure how she got that. But uh, anyways, but what we found in our house is that very quickly we found out that you did not have the freedom to play your part the way that you saw fit. Mary Margaret was always in charge of the story, and she always had a storyline in her mind. And to understand how you were in the story, you had to understand where her story was going and where it was going to be at the end, which always ended with her as the hero, delivered from all of her distress, which was, I guess, me. Um... So this morning, we are going to be looking at, if you have your Bibles or your phones, or if you just want to listen, we are going to be looking at Psalm 107. And Psalm 107 is a psalm that is all about story. This psalm tells the stories of God's people, and all of these stories are wrapped up in the grand storyline of what God is doing in the world. And as we read Psalm 107, we're invited to see our own stories in it too, and to see our own stories shaped by the grand narrative of God's redemptive work in the world. Uh, Psalm 107 tells the story of deliverance and of distress. And it does so through these four little vignettes, these small stories. And each of these stories, even if you don't have your Bible in front of you, you're going to be able to hear that they follow a similar pattern. And here's the pattern. God's people are suffering they call out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivers them from their distress. And then they, and then also we, are called to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love and his wondrous works to the children of man. Uh, one of my very favorite teachers of all time is a man by the name of Ed Welch. He is a counselor and professor at CCEF in Philadelphia. And he has a, such a helpful way of looking at the Psalms. He talks about how the Psalms express the whole spectrum of human emotion and experience. I don't know how many of you, like me, have been quick to find yourselves in the Psalm over, Psalms over this past year because of the way that they do express the fullness of human emotion and experience. And they often do this right in the same Psalm. There is hope and joy, there is fear, and there is faith. 
And so what Dr. Welch says is that if you can find yourself in one part of the psalm, if you can claim one part of it as your own, then you also can claim the whole thing. So if you can claim the, ho- the sorrow, then you can also claim the joy. If you can claim the fear, then you can also claim the faith. If you can claim the distress, we can also claim the deliverance. And so as we look at this psalm, we will likely find ourselves in some of these stories of of distress. But what I hope that we can see is that we can also find ourselves in the stories of deliverance because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done on our behalf. So if you will, look with me or just listen. We are going to read Psalm 107, just verses 1 through 32. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze, and he cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Let me pray before we dive into this psalm together. 
Lord, we thank you for sunshine after the storm and how it reminds us of the way that you are at work in the world, truly to bring deliverance and hope and redemption to all our distress and trouble and trial. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to see ourselves in this psalm this morning and that you would also help us to see you, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and that we would find our true and real hope in him. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the context of this psalm is most likely the return of the exiles to Jerusalem from their Babylonian captivity. And as you heard, likely as we read it, you can tell that the center point of this psalm The center point of all the stories is the steadfast love of God for his people. I spend a lot of time in the Jesus Storybook Bible at my house because my children are young. I commend it to you, and if you don't want to be reading a children's Bible, they now market it with a cool leather cover so you can read it and still feel like you're not five or six years old. But what Sally Sally Lloyd-Jones writes in the Storybook Bible, she describes the steadfast love of God in this way as his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This is the center point of this psalm. And we're going to see it in these four stories that you heard as we read. The stories of wanderers in the desert, of prisoners in darkness, of fools at the brink of death, and of sailors in the storm. So let's look, if you have your Bible in front of you, to the story of the wanderers in the desert. This is verses 4 through 9. And the psalmist writes, Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. I don't know how many of you have spent much time in the desert. I have not, but my son Jack did a research project. He's six, so I'm not really sure what that means. But he did a research project on the desert snake a few weeks ago. And as I was watching video after video of the sidewinder slither its way across the desert, I'm reminded that there is nothing there. So if you are wandering in the desert, it is this real sense of lostness, right? You don't just go to wander around the desert for fun. You are lost, and it likely carries with it a sense of hopelessness, too. So they're wandering in the desert. It says that these people, God's people, have no city to dwell in. They have no sense of permanence, no sense of protection or of refuge or of rest. And they are hungry and thirsty. It's both physical and spiritual. It says their souls fainted within them. If you're familiar with the story of God's people, you see it as they wander in the desert for 40 years. And we see the story again in their exile as they are cast out and away from the city of God. But we see it in our own stories too, do we not? Likely over this last year we have felt this, or even these past several years as you have been in school. We've all experienced the lostness and the hopelessness that comes when all our plans are canceled, when all the dreams that we have held so tightly to are shattered, when our relationships that we counted on are broken, when our family systems that we've tethered ourselves to start to fall apart, when the things that we reach for to find our identity in slowly start slipping away we experience the same sense of lostness. We've experienced, likely some of us, the loss of place and the loss of home, feeling like we don't really know where to go 
to find our refuge or our rest. And we all know the thirst and the hunger, the longing that comes when everything that we have fed ourselves with leaves us wanting, right? The relationships and our resumes, our busyness and distractions can leave us hungry and thirsty. They fail to satisfy our souls. And so what the people do in this psalm, it says they cry to the Lord in their trouble and he delivers them from their distress. In this story, he leads them by a straight way until they reach a city to dwell in. And it says he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. We see this on display in the story of God's people as they wander through the wilderness and he leads them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And as he feeds them with manna from heaven and water from a rock and he draws them and leads them into the promised land. And then the exiles return, it can also be considered a re-exodus, where God leads them from the various places they have been scattered back to the city of God, to a place of permanence and protection, of security and rest. What's so beautiful for us, though, as people on this side of the cross, is that we can sing this psalm in a way that the psalmist could never dream. Because we have seen in the person of Jesus how far the steadfast love of God would go to rescue and to redeem us. Jesus says, I am the way, right? The way to the Father, who is our true protection and our true security, who is our refuge and our rest. And Jesus also says, I am the bread of life. In this psalm, the psalmist said that God gives to the hungry souls good things. And in Jesus, God, God has said to us, I have given you the best thing. I have given you myself, who will truly satisfy the longing of our souls. Uh, so then we'll go down to the next little vignette here with the prisoners in darkness. It says, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Their hearts are bowed down with hard labor. They are fell down with none to help. What sets this story apart from the first is that their suffering is not just a part of living in a broken world, but it is, it is as a result of the brokenness that is within them. The darkness here is a result of their own sin. The prisons are those of their own making. We see this, right, in the story of God's people in exile. God had come to them again and again to warn them of the consequences of failing to live within the covenant. And yet they disobey and they are cast out, out of the city and into captivity. But we see this in our own stories too, right? We have felt sometimes the palpable darkness of our own sin. We have been in places where sin seems to have such a grip on us that we feel like we are powerless to escape. Or we have found ourselves caught up in habits and patterns and secrets from which we do not feel like we know how to get out. And the light feels so far off. And yet what's so beautiful in this passage is that we see that the consequences of God's people's sin is not the end of their story. And the consequences of your sin and mine are not the end of our story either. These people too cry out to the Lord and in his wondrous work of mercy and grace, he still delivers them from their distress. He brings them out of darkness. He bursts their bonds apart. 
Is this not exactly what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ? Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. He shines light into the deepest darkness of our lives and hearts and declare that the darkness will not and cannot overcome it. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness by taking it all upon himself on the cross. But then he has also said, I am the resurrection and the life. In his resurrection from the dead, he has burst our bonds apart so that no matter how deep your struggle and no matter how deep mine, sin no longer has dominion over you. It does not reign. It does not rule. My favorite hymn, or one of them, is And Can It Be? And there's a line in there that says, Your chains are gone, my heart is free. That is what is true of us for those of us who are in Christ. And it gives us great hope. And so the third one, we have seen the desert wanderers, the prisoners in darkness. This next story that the psalm takes us to is the story of the fool. Suffering again follows sin here, and it's that this time the foolishness of God's people is what is highlighted. It says they were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. One commentator that I read here said, it's important to remember that fools here are not the unintelligent, but they are the perverse. It's the foolishness of their sinful ways that has led them to their own destruction. If you're familiar with the Proverbs, it talks a lot about the fool. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 12, 15 says the way of the fool seems right in his own eyes. So in this part of the psalm, the way of the fool has led them to the brink of death, and there they too cry out to the Lord, and he delivers them. But what we can't miss in this little vignette, and I encourage you to go back to it, is the way that God delivers them here. It says that he sends out his word and he heals them. That his word is what his foolish people need. His word is the healing balm to their foolishness. It is the way that he draws them out of themselves and back to him. This is the story of Israel all through the Old Testament. God coming again and again and again to speak to his people in their foolishness. And then eventually to Israel and also to us, he sends his son, who is the word made flesh, who makes known to the Father, or known the Father to our wandering and foolish hearts. We live in a world, right, where we can learn all about anything that we want with the right Google search, right? And it can be tempting to believe for you and for me that the antidote to our foolishness is to know more. But what Jesus is telling us is that what our foolish hearts need is not to know more, but to know him, right? The healing balm to our foolishness, our rescue, our deliverance comes in the saving knowledge of who he is and what he has done on our behalf. And then finally, this psalm takes us to the story of the sailors and the storm. So we all prepared for bad weather yesterday. This is not hard to relate to. It says these sailors, they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. 
The storm, as all big storms are, was overwhelming, and they felt their littleness and their powerlessness. They had no courage, they had lost their footing, and they had come to the end of themselves. And they too cry out to the Lord, and he delivers them from their distress. He quiets the storm. It takes most of our minds immediately to the account of Jesus and his disciples in the boat, where he is asleep and the great storm overtakes them. And when they wake him with one single command, he calms the winds and the waves. And they ask themselves, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And who was it? He's the one that made the winds and the waves. He's the one that rules over them. And he is the one that did not leave his disciples alone in the boat. Back to the storybook Bible, but Sally Lloyd-Jones, I love her account, the way that she ends this story. She says this, Jesus' friends had been so afraid. They had only seen the big wave. They had forgotten that if Jesus was with them, then they had nothing to be afraid of. No matter how small their boat or how big the storm. Friends, the storms in our lives, all that this year has brought with COVID or just in life and in our family and in our hearts and in our heads, all of these storms are real. And so often I find myself feeling like a really little person in a really little boat. But this is a story of a really big God who rules over all of it and who will not leave you alone in the boat. So what I want us to see as we conclude here is that it's easy to find ourselves somewhere in the psalm as those wandering in the desert, those in darkness, those who are walking in their own foolishness or feeling overcome by the storm. But what this psalm tells us is that these things are not the whole story. As we look at the stories of our lives, we can see that the defining parts of them are not our lostness or our longing, not the darkness of our hearts or the prisons of our own making, not our foolishness and not the storms. You heard it as we read the defining refrain of these stories and of ours too is the steadfast love of God who stopped at nothing to rescue and redeem us. Amazing love, how can it be? Let us then be people who thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let me close us in prayer. God, I pray that in the midst of all that surrounds us, of all that is within us, all the ways we struggle and stumble and suffer, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see and to taste the steadfast love of God, that you have given us your son to rescue us and to redeem us so that our distress may not be the end of our story. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to know your deliverance and that we would have hope and where we have not seen it, Lord, that you are able to do infinitely and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. I pray that you would go with each of these students here today, that you would... Um, that you would help this psalm to sink in to their lives and that they would be able to look and see and define their stories um, ultimately by the story of Jesus and who he is for them on their behalf. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.